Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. I'm happy to be with you today. Um, It's a privilege for me to address you this morning. And I, I really only have one message, and sorry guys on video, um, I sort of move a little, so you can be on your game. <laughs> um, I really only have one message, and that message is the message of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's already done for us. It's very easy for us, as Christians, I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, my mother was a sort of a lapsed Catholic, and my father, uh, while he was in the home, was a, a non-practicing Jew. And uh, so we didn't really go to church much. And then uh, my dad uh, was out of the home, and my grandmother took me to the Lutheran church. Um, a little bit while I was growing up. I was baptized as a Lutheran and uh, actually confirmed also in the Lutheran church, but didn't come to faith, had not come to faith until 1971 when I, uh, the Lord Jesus broke into my very lost, very dark, very debauched life uh, right before my 21st birthday, and saved my soul. And that was something that he did um, sovereignly. I wasn't looking for God. Uh, I, I think I knew I was sort of in trouble and was probably on my way to an early death, but I wasn't looking for him. And uh, he, through a series of circumstances, moved me in next door to the woman who remains my best friend these 40-something years, 45 years later, uh, Julie. And Julie began to talk to me about Jesus. And I heard a message from Julie that I had never heard before. For in some way, in all of the church I had ever attended, I had never heard the message that Jesus Christ forgives sinners, which is kind of good news, right? (laughs) So I heard this message that Jesus Christ forgives sinners and that, and by that point in my life, I knew very well I was a sinner. Um, and nobody needed to tell me. I, I knew very early on. And so Jesus Christ forgives sinners, and at that moment in 1971, sort of height of the Jesus movement in Southern California, I found myself that the summer of 1971 on my knees in my little studio apartment next door to Julie praying, God, if you're there and if in fact you have will forgive me, 
I want to give my life to you. Within, um, and, and, and that moment, that moment was so intensely transformational for me um, to know for the first time in my life that I was actually welcomed and accepted by that one we sang about just now, that good, good father, the good, good father who actually loved me. It was amazing. And, and I, was, I was on fire for him. Within a couple of months, I was in Bible college. And, in, and at Bible college, and then, you know, you gotta understand what was going on because I was the quintessential Jesus movement, 1971 hippie type. Um, and really, probably only the people who are my age actually know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, my, my husband loves to say that when he first saw me, I was wearing overalls and barefoot. So that was, that was where I was coming from. Uh, and I went to a little Bible college, a little church-based Bible college, and, um, and that was a shock for them and it was a shock for me as well. Um, and I began to, I be, the, the focus of my life, which had been for the past few months, because I had, I had come to understand that I was loved and welcomed and forgiven, which is really great news, that, that truth began to fade in importance. And what happened was that even though I continued to believe that I was indeed welcomed, loved, and forgiven, I began to look at the gospel message as something that was really great for getting into the kingdom of God. It's a great message for unbelievers. It's a great message for people sort of out there. But for us in the church, it wasn't really where the action was. Where the action then was this sort of shift that happened in my life, the action then became about me. And not me in a sort of, you know, I'm all about getting everything I want, although of course I am all about getting everything I want, and so are you. Um, <laughs> not about that, but rather about how I'm doing getting that sanctification bus down the road. Do you know what I mean? It was all about me and how I was doing with my Bible reading, with my prayer, with my witnessing, with my church attendance, with my holiness, right? So that 
Christianity became for me, as I think it is, for 98% of evangelicalism, yes, a recognition of Jesus and what he had already done, but also primarily about me and how I was doing growing in that. The shift happened. And I used to read passages like the passage in 1 John 5, which says, you know, we have come to, we know that we have come to know him if we love him and keep his commandments for his commandments are not burdensome. And I used to read that and I used to think, well, what commandments are you talking about there? I mean, seriously, his commandments aren't burdensome because we remember what his commandments are. His commandments are, first of all, that you must love God with your with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I mean, I was only saved six months or less. By the time I figured out that being a Christian would be easy if it weren't for other people. <laughs> right? I mean, if it's just about me loving God, well, you know, okay, that's good. But then there's this next part, which is I have to love my neighbor the way I already love myself. Which, um, again, Christianity would be easy if I didn't have to do that, right? I mean, love your neighbor? I mean, really? You know, I mean, 24-7, every minute of every day, love your neighbor? Love your neighbor? Sometimes I don't even like my neighbor. I need to love my neighbor? So my Christianity then became about me and about how I was doing living this sort of Christian life. And then it wasn't until about, and then I went ahead and got training in biblical counseling, got my master's degree, uh, went ahead and really focused in on how to help people move the bus down the road. Uh, Phil and I were married and as Denise said, we've been married for more than 40 years, which proves that there is a God. <laughs> and, uh, and in that, um, we, and, and we had children, and part of my whole deal was to make sure that my children were getting their bus down the road as well. So I would talk to them about Christianity, about Jesus and what he had already done, only enough so that I was sure that they had acquiesced and then we never talked about Jesus and what he had done. I mean, you know, I would, I would sort of say things like, well, it's about Jesus. I mean, how can you act like that? After all, Jesus died on the cross for you. That kind of thing. And then about, I wanna say 15 years ago, I have absolutely no memory left. I'm 65, I have no memory left. I just say all the Velcro has been used up. So stuff happens and nothing sticks. So I wanna say 10 or 15 years ago, I began to realize that in my pursuit of godliness, I had left Jesus behind. 
And in that, I want to say that I think that's where a lot of us are. Maybe, maybe not so much here, but it's my sense that we have focused in, and appropriately so, on our lives, and whether or not our lives are reflecting God's great love, His glory, we have focused in on that to such an extent that we have forgotten Jesus. And so in the little bit of time that I have left, I'm just gonna talk to you about Jesus. Because sisters and brothers, we, uh, we need some good news, don't we? I mean, this world in which we live is filled, and I think will be more and more so, with bad news. So I'm gonna give you some good news that's gonna transcend, transcend all the bad news you're going to hear. Here is the good news. I'm going to read to you first from Hebrews 4, and then I want you to just listen to this narrative. This is Hebrews 4:14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. That's the ascension and his reign. Let us hold fast to our confession. What is that confession? It is the confession that he has done everything. That when he said it is finished, it was indeed finished. It was finished. When he said it's fit, the work that needed to be done was finished. Therefore, he ascended after the resurrection, which I'm going to talk about. He ascended and has passed through the heavens as still as the incarnate God-man. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. If you underline stuff in your Bible, you need to underline that or highlight it on your phone. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. How does he become our high priest? He becomes our high priest because he offers the sacrifice and he himself is the sacrifice. And he can sympathize with our weaknesses because in every way, in every respect, in everything that you face, he has gone before you and faced it for you. And that's not simply to say, well, that's good news because, you know, misery loves company. It's good news for you because not only has he gone through it and he sympathizes with everything you face, and not only are you not alone in it, which is good, but he also went through it perfectly for you. So in all of your temptations and the ways that you fail, the good news today is Jesus did it perfectly in your place. 
<laughs> he did it perfectly for you. See, he, w- he faced everything you face. True temptation, not fake temptation. Not like, oh yeah, I'm sort of being tempted, but I'm really God, so I'm not really tempted. He's truly tempted. Faced temptation, everything you face, every time you're tempted to give up, every single thing you have walked through, he's walked through, he's done that for you, and it's not just good news because he's with you in it, it's good news because he did it perfectly for you. So you have his perfect record. That's kind of good news. So then, let us, I know I'm in the South, so I get to say it, all y'all. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of your list of all the things you need to do in order for God to be happy with you. So you can be thankful right now that that's not what that says. Because even if I came here today and gave you a list of things to do, you want some news, you won't do them. You might do them for a few weeks, or if you're really wonderfully disciplined, maybe a month, but eventually you'll be coming back looking for another list of all the things you're supposed to do. The magic list. I don't want the regular list, I need the magic list. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. (laughs) Where God throws open the doors and says, welcome, daughters, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you need mercy and grace? I, I do. I'm, I'm desperately in need of mercy and grace. And the wonderful news is, mercy and grace has been given. How? How has that happened? Well, it has happened. It has happened because the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who always existed in ineffable, joyous, beautiful light, made a covenant with his Father who loves you that he would come and get you. So he left his Father's throne and it's mind-blowing and entered by the Holy Spirit, his essence, into the ovum of a little 14-year-old virgin girl in a hick village. And was consigned then to the darkness of the womb while she gestated, he was gestated in her, excuse me, uterus, you know, I mean, we say the word womb and it's all kind of nice, and I say uterus and you're <laughs> It's 
like, oh, she said uterus. Um, and he lived there, grew there, just like you. Just like you did. And then he was born, placenta and all, just like you. And when he came out of the womb, he didn't come out speaking perfect Hebrew or Aramaic or Chinese or English. He had to learn language. I mean, that ought to blow your brain out. Just your, your mind, when I say that, you ought to go <laughs> The word who spoke all things into existence had to learn how to form words with his little baby mouth. He had to learn how to say mama. He had to learn how to nurse. And you know, we, we somehow take his humanity away from him when we sing songs like, Away in the Manger, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. No, eh, wrong. He cried just like you. And then he was a little child just like you and he had to learn table manners. See, he didn't as a, as a young person, as a child, as a young adult, he didn't access his deity in order to make life easier for him. Was he fully God? Yes, but he was also fully man. And he didn't access his deity in order to make, you know, he didn't use his spidey powers. In order to make his life easier for himself, why? Because someone had to fulfill the law for you, as you, as your representative. He had to fulfill the law. He had to love his father with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor as himself and for an entire lifetime so that you who are in him would no longer be under the curse of the law, which is you have to love God and your neighbor perfectly. Not like love God and your neighbor, sort of try your best. See, God doesn't grade on a curve. If God graded on a curve, it still wouldn't work because Jesus ruined it. <laughs> God doesn't grade on a curve. It has to be, see, when he said, I'm sorry, someone just during the last week or so, a sort of well-known kind of person who has a sort of quasi-church said <laughs> to his thousands and thousands and thousands of followers, God doesn't demand perfection, at which point the top of my head blew off. <laughs> and I thought, well, so when Jesus said, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, he was just joshing. <laughs> no, God demands perfection. What's Jesus doing? Living that whole life. He's living sinlessly for you. Because you have to have a record of perfection. 
It's not that God doesn't demand perfection. He demands perfection, but he also supplies it. Right? See, that's great news. Do you know what that means? All you little perfectionists, be free, little birdies. You don't have to be a perfectionist because you've already got perfection. See, that's what makes the gospel good news. Not, you know, the 12 things I'm gonna tell you to do so you get your act together. The gospel is good news because you've been given in Christ by faith, by grace alone, the perfection of the Son who lived an entire life for you. So that the law, which is love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, your neighbors, yourself, has already been fulfilled. That doesn't mean you don't try to do it. Of course you do. Of course you do. Why? In grateful response for the fact that that record has already been given to you. And the law no longer has the power to condemn you. See, what is, what is the curse of the law? The curse of the law is death for disobedience. We don't die because of our disobedience in Christ. We don't die if we're in Christ for our disobedience. Christ died for our disobedience. He lived perfectly for us, and then he died in our place so that the curse of death for disobedience has now been obliterated. Now, Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore what? When? Now. Now. See, not, when, when God says there's no condemnation, he's not saying to you that there's no condemnation for you once you get your act together, sort of a better you, a future better you. You know, when you get through this rough patch. The future better you. No, the no condemnation is for you now if you're in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he lived a perfect life for you and then he died a grueling, horrific, excruciating, substitutionary death for you. And when he cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a true cry from his human heart. Why? For the first time in his existence as the God-man, his father's face was turned from him. Why? Because he became the curse for disobedience. And all of your sin, listen, all of God's wrath for all of your sin, all of God's wrath for all of your sin has already been poured out on the head of the perfect one who became the curse. So if all of God's wrath for all of your sin has already been poured out on the head of the perfect one who became the curse, how much God, here's a math question. If all of God's wrath for all of your sin, for all of the times that you fussed because the barista at Starbucks didn't make your drink right, 
I mean, if you're gonna pay $6.50 for a cup of coffee, <laughs> all of God's wrath for all of your sin has been poured out on the head of the Son. Now, if that's true, how much wrath does God have left for you? Answer. You can say it, it's good, isn't it? God has no wrath left for me. He has no wrath left for me, why? Because Jesus lived perfectly in your place, died a substitutionary death in your place, and then, truly dead. He was truly, oh, we're coming up on Holy Week. I'm so, so happy. And we're coming up to that day that we very strangely call Good Friday. Why is it, why is it good? Because all of God's wrath for all of your sin is poured out on the head of his son on that day. And he cries, why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that question is, so that you will never be forsaken. God the Father forsakes God the Son so that you and I will never be sent into exile. We'll never be sent away. He will never turn his face from us. And so, he cries out those marvelous three words, it is, I mean, do you believe that? Or do you think, no, it's, it's kind of finished, but then there's me. No, it's finished. Does that mean you don't work? No, it means now you're on fire. You're zealous. You go to the ends of the earth. You do that. Why? because he'll never leave you, no matter where you go. How do you know he'll never leave you? Because he left his son. And then, three days later, God the Father raises him from the dead. And do you know what that tells you? Paul says in Romans four, that what that tells you is, you're justified. He was crucified, delivered up for our sins, and justified and resurrected for our justification, which means, which means, not only just as if you had never sinned, right? Justification, you're justified. That's the article upon which the whole church rises or falls, justification. Not simply just as if you had never sinned, but also, ready? Good news, just as if you had always obeyed. That's your record. Before God, by faith, right now, just as if you had never sinned. See, I'm here to say to you today, you're forgiven. What would your life be like if you really thought that? You know, the no guilt in life, what would that be like if you lived your life every day as a forgiven daughter? Completely forgiven. Not only are you forgiven, but you're also righteous, just as if you had always obeyed. That's our message, sisters. And then, of course, he ascended 40 days later, after giving a hermeneutics lesson to the apostles, which is basically what he was doing, he ascended 40 days later, still wearing 
our flesh. See, he didn't just come and take our flesh for like three years or something, or 30 years. He came and took our flesh for eternity. Why? So that he would always be the God-man, your husband, forever, still bearing scars. So, I, you know, I just wrote a book about heaven, and there's a lot of stuff we're going to be doing there, but one of the things we're going to be doing is looking at those scars and saying, are you kidding me? And so, back to our passage. Since then, we have a great high priest who is both, who is both the one who offers the sacrifice and the sacrifice. He's passed through the heavens. He's the ascended son. Jesus, the son of God, hang on to that message. Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Yes, he knows everything about me, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Why did he have to be tempted? So that in our, so that in our failure, in our temptations, he would pay for our sin and live perfectly for us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Pray with me. Father, help us to hold fast to this confession. Not the confession of how good we are or what we've done, or even how much we believe or how much faith we have, or how much we've sacrificed. Help us instead to hold on to this confession that Jesus Christ lived perfectly and died shamefully and was raised bodily for us. Help us to hang on to that confession, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.com. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.